Mr. Vindman, you testified in your deposition that you did not know the whistleblower. Uh, ranking member, exile, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, please. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in From the Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Here with more Bradcast special impeachment coverage as week two of the public impeachment hearings of Donald J. Trump kicked off on Tuesday morning. And we're actually rushing to air right now during the break between the two sets of witnesses today with the recently resigned... Special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt uh, to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, and uh, Trump's current National Security Council, Russia and Ukraine advisor Tim Morrison, set to begin their testimony within the hour. We will cover any news of note from that on tomorrow's broadcast, I suspect, as we try to keep up with it all. If all goes wrong here today, and it very well might, uh, as we're making it up as we go to air today, Desi Doyen, (laughs) we will at least have your latest Green News report on the back end to make it all better. Fingers crossed. In the meantime, as we go to air, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the Ukraine expert on Donald Trump's National Security Council, and Jennifer... Williams, Vice President Mike Pence's Ukraine expert, have just completed their testimony before the U.S. House Intelligence Committee, both of them firsthand witnesses to Donald Trump's infamous July 25 call with the new president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, when Trump asked for a, quote, favor in response to Zelensky's request for javelin missiles for use in Ukraine's ongoing war with Russian-backed separatists in the east. Jennifer Williams, who who uh, described the request for a favor by Donald Trump as, quote, inappropriate, was a political appointee of the George W. Bush administration after having worked on the Bush-Cheney campaign staff. She's now a 14-year government service official who began her career, as she testified, working with her uh, quote, hero Condoleezza Rice. 
She then went on to serve under three presidents to date, two Republicans, one Democratic. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's service has been even longer. He moved here to this country when he was three years old with his family when they fled Soviet Russia in the 70s. He has spent his career in military service. He's a Purple Heart awardee after being wounded by a roadside bomb in Iraq in 2014. At the National Security Council, he is the principal national security security advisor on Ukraine, where he had served under, well, then National Security Advisor John Bolton earlier this year until Bolton was, was either fired or quit. Vinman testified on Tuesday in detail during his opening statement to his very serious concerns that during a meeting with Ukrainian officials when Trump donor turned EU ambassador Gordon Sondland, who was set to testify on Wednesday, uh, when uh, the uh, Sondland raised the matter of Ukraine opening investigations into Joe Biden and the Ukrainian national natural gas company Burisma, where Biden's son served on the board and into the 2016 election. When he raised those points in exchange for what the Ukrainian president really wanted, which was a White House meeting with President Trump, Vindman was quite concerned. So concerned, in fact, that he brought his concerns to the top National Security Council attorney at the time about both Trump's July 25 phone call and that July 10 meeting with Ambassador Sondland and the Ukrainians. On July 10, 2019, Alexander Danyaluk, then Ukraine's National Security Advisor, visited Washington, D.C. for a meeting with National Security Advisor Bolton. Ambassadors Volker and Sondland and Secretary Rick Perry also attended the meeting I attended with Dr. Hill. We fully anticipated the Ukrainians would raise the issue of, meet of a meeting between the presidents. Ambassador Bolton cut the meeting short when Ambassador Sondland started to speak about the requirement that Ukraine deliver specific investigations in order to secure the meeting with President Trump. Following this meeting, there was a short debriefing during which Ambassador Sondland emphasized the importance of Ukraine delivering the investigations into the 2016 elections, the Bidens and Burisma. I stated to Ambassador Sondland that this was inappropriate and had nothing to do with national security. Following the meeting, Dr. Hill and I agreed to report the incident to the NSC's lead counsel, Mr. John Eisenberg. On July 21, 2019, President Zelensky won a parliamentary election in another landslide victory. The NSC proposed that President Trump call President Zelensky to congratulate him. On July 25, 2019, the call occurred. I listened on the, in on the call in the Situation Room with White House colleagues. I was concerned by the call. What I heard was inappropriate, and I reported my concerns to Mr. Eisenberg. It is improper for the President of the United States to demand a foreign government investigate a U.S. citizen and a political opponent. It was, it was also clear that if Ukraine pursued an investigation into the 2016 elections, the Bidens and Burisma, it would be interpreted as a partisan play. This would undoubtedly result in Ukraine losing bipartisan support, undermining U.S. national security, and advancing Russia's strategic objectives in the region. I want to emphasize to the committee that when I reported my concerns on July 10th relating to Ambassador Sondland and then July 25th relating to the President, I did so out of a sense of duty. I privately reported my concerns in official channels to the proper authority in the chain of command. 
My intent was to raise these concerns because they had significant national security implications for our country. I never thought that I'd be sitting here testifying in front of this committee and the American public about my actions. When I reported my concerns, my only thought was to act properly and to carry out my duty. Following each of my reports to Mr. Eisenberg, I immediately returned to work to advance the President's and our country's foreign policy objectives. I focused on what I have done throughout my military career, promoting America's national security interests. I want to take a moment to recognize the courage of my colleagues who have appeared and are scheduled to appear before this committee. I want to say that the character attacks on these distinguished and honorable public servants is reprehensible. It is natural to disagree and engage in spirited debate. And this has been the custom of our country since the time of our founding fathers. But we are better than personal attacks. The uniform I wear today is that of the United States Army. The members of our all-volunteer force are made up of a patchwork of people from all ethnicities, regions, socioeconomic backgrounds who come together under a common oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. We do not serve any political party. We serve the nation. I am humbled to come before you today as one of many who serve in the most distinguished and able military in the world. The Army is the only profession I have ever known. As a young man, I decided I wanted to spend my life serving this nation and gave my family, that gave my family refuge from authoritarian oppression. For the last 20 years, it has been an honor to, and to represent and protect this great country. Next month will mark 40 years since my family arrived in, in the United States as refugees. When my father was 47 years old, he left behind his entire life and the only home he had ever known to start over in the, in the United States so his three sons could have a better and, sa and safer lives. His courageous decision inspired a deep sense of gratitude in my brothers and myself and instilled in us a sense of duty and service. All three of us have served or are currently serving in the military. My little brother sits behind me here today. I, our collective military service is a special part of our uh, family's history and uh, story in America. I also recognize that my simple act of appearing here today, just like the courage of my colleagues who have also truthfully testified before this committee, would not be tolerated in many places around the world. In Russia, my act of expressing concern to the chain of command in an official and private channel would have severe personal and professional repercussions and offering public testimony involving the president would surely cost me my life. I'm grateful to my father's, for my father's brave act of hope 40 years ago and for the privilege of being an American citizen and public servant, where I can live free of fear for mine and my family's safety. Dad, I'm sitting here today in the U.S. Capitol talking to our elected professionals, talking to our elected professionals is proof that you made the right decision 40 years ago to leave the Soviet Union and come here to the United States of America in search of a better life for our family. Do not worry. I will be fine for telling the truth. Thank you again for your consideration. I'll be happy to answer your questions. Later in Tuesday's hearing, Democratic House Counsel Dan Goldman picked up on what happened at that July 10 meeting that so alarmed Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. I want to move now to that July 10th meeting that you referenced, Colonel Vindman. What exactly did Ambassador Sondland say when the Ukrainian officials raised the idea of a White House meeting? 
As I recall, he referred to specific investigations um, that Ukrainians would have to deliver in order to get the, these meetings. And what happened the to White House the, meeting? What happened to the broader meeting after he made that reference? Uh, Ambassador Bolton very abruptly uh, ended the meeting. Did you uh, follow Ambassador Sondland and the others to the ward room for a, a meeting follow-up? There was a, um, a photo opportunity that we uh, leveraged in order to um, demonstrate U.S. support. So the White House visit um, demonstrating U.S. support for Ukraine and the new national security advisor who's a tech technocrat. And then after that, we went down to a short um, post-meeting huddle or debrief. Were the investigations, the specific investigations that Ambassador Sondland referenced in the larger meeting also discussed in the wardroom meeting? They were. And what did Ambassador Sondland say? Ambassador Sondland referred to investigations into the, the Biden's Burisma in 2016. How did you respond, if at all? Um, I, I said that uh, this... this request to, uh, to conduct these investigations was inappropriate and had nothing to do with national security policy. Now, you said you also reported this incident to the NSC lawyers, is that right? Correct. Why did you report this meeting and this conversation to the NSC lawyers? Because uh, it was inappropriate. So am I correct, Colonel Vindman, that at least no later than that July 10th meeting, the Ukrainians had understood or at least heard that the Oval Office meeting that they so desperately wanted was conditioned on these specific investigations into Burisma and the 2016 election? That was the first time I was aware of the Ukrainians being approached directly by a government official. And directly linking the White House meeting to the investigations? Correct. Correct. That was Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the top Ukraine expert on the national on Donald Trump's National Security Council testifying in the U.S. House on Tuesday. Let's take a quick break right here. Come back with our broadcast impeachment hearing correspondent. That would be Heather Digby Parton. Yes, she's back with her thoughts and analysis on the morning's testimony, along with a few more clips from today, if we have time. As our special broadcast impeachment coverage continues, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Here she comes again. We will be joined for assistance on all of this by our special impeachment hearing correspondent and all-around swell egg, Heather Digby Parton, momentarily. Welcome back to the broadcast and our continuing special coverage of the ongoing impeachment hearings of Donald J. Trump, as we are right now as we go to air between two sets of hearings today. 
Donald Trump's National Security Council's Ukraine expert, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, and Vice President Mike Pence's top Ukraine advisor, Jennifer Williams, both testified publicly on Tuesday morning before the U.S. House Intelligence Committee in open hearings. Both of them were listening in on Donald Trump's infamous July 25 call with the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, when Donald Trump asked for a favor in return for military aid. Vindman reported his concerns about that pressure campaign on two different occasions. Once, if I understand it, even before that July 25 call, uh, he reported it to the uh, National Security Council's top attorney. We will discuss all of this with Digby shortly. But for her part, Pence's aide Williams described Trump's attempt to use foreign policy for his own personal political purposes as, quote, inappropriate. Later on Tuesday, Trump's U.S. special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, who resigned shortly after his role in the Ukraine pressure campaign began to come to light, thanks to a whistleblower. He is set to testify, along with Tim Morrison, who served as Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's direct boss on Trump's NSC. If there's anything noteworthy, of course, in that public testimony, we'll try to pick it up on tomorrow's broadcast. But at this point, it seems to me that what happened here in Donald Trump's quid pro quo extortion bribery scheme, whatever you'd like to call it, in demanding Ukraine investigate his political rivals before they would receive a White House meeting or $391 million in military assistance is pretty clear, uh, at least at this point. At least it seems to me it feels like uh, like a matter of responding to the many strained excuses that Republicans are trying to figure out at this point in order to defend the president against what is very clearly an impeachable abuse of his office in his strong-arming scheme of Ukraine for political, personal purposes. To that end, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's testimony seemed to undermine one key plank, or at least one key attempted plank, of the administration's and the Republicans' defense of Trump's behavior, that he was uh, only trying, that Trump was only trying to make sure corruption was rooted out from a country with a very long, yes, very long history of corruption before he would hand them all of that money. Smearing and recalling, however, the anti-corruption warrior Marie Yovanovitch, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, as we discussed after her testimony last Friday, uh, seems a strange way to help root out corruption in Ukraine. But Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's testimony makes it plain that Trump was not even trying to do so in either of his two conversations with the new Ukrainian president, Zelensky. As Kate Riga observes at TPM this afternoon, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman uh, testified Tuesday that for all of President Trump's professed concern about rooting out Ukrainian corruption, he did not even bring it up once in either of his two calls with the Ukrainian president. Dan Goldman, the staff counsel for the House Intelligence Committee uh, for the Democrats, asked Vindman if Trump brought up corruption in his April 21 call with Zelensky. That was the first congratulatory call after, uh, after Zelensky won his, uh, his presidential election because the White House readout of that conversation 
In other words, what the White House had said was discussed on the call originally included that the men discussed reforms to address the country's endemic corruption. But when the White House released a rough transcript of that call, there was no mention of corruption at all. Vindman testified on Tuesday that the White House description of the call was, quote, not entirely accurate since Trump did not actually mention corruption at all. Neither did he mention it on the July 25 call with Zelensky either. Democrat uh, Democratic attorney Goldman asked Vindman, so when the president says now that he held up security assistance because he was concerned about rooting out corruption in Ukraine, that concern was not expressed in either of the two phone conversations he had with President Zelensky. Is that right? Vindman confirmed, correct. That, of course, would seem to undermine the entire claim that the withholding of hundreds of millions of dollars in congressionally allocated funds for Ukraine was out of concerns about corruption in Ukraine. That, of course, did not keep Republicans on the committee from ignoring that reality and continuing to use the claim that this was all about Ukrainian corruption in their attempts to undermine the very credible testimony from both Vindman and Williams. Joining us now once again for help on all of this is Salon contributor, Digby's hullabaloo blog proprietor, and the award-winning opinion and analysis journalist, our old friend Heather Digby-Parton, who, as it turns out, is a longtime member, still in good standing, of the reality-based community. Welcome back, Digby. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me, Brad. <laughs> Thank you for being had. All right. Um, Digby, so much to discuss uh, about this uh, Tuesday impeachment testimony, of course. But most importantly, I need to know, why was Donald Trump rushed to Walter Reed Hospital over the weekend? Oh, my God. Well, you know, it's hard. Look, <laughs> if any other White House yeah. had said, look, you know, he just went in, he had some free time, and they decided that they would use it, you know, efficiently. Mm -hmm. He's going to be on the campaign trail, wanted to do a quick check, there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong. You know, we might think it was weird. He is, you know, he's older, he's 73, he's obviously not, in, you know, I mean, he doesn't lead a very healthy lifestyle, as we understand it. Uh -huh. And he's under a lot of stress, we uh -huh. might suspect it, but we would accept, okay, you know, he went back home and he seems to be all right, and we'd move on. But since this White House lies about everything, mm -hmm. the default must be, of course, that they're lying about this, too. Yeah. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it, you know, it, we'd be suspicious of anyone, but particularly these people, because Trump doesn't like doctors. He's not one to go mm -hmm. to the doctor. He had a that quack up in New York City <laughs> that he dictated his medical, you know, letter of endorsement mm -hmm. uh, to. So the fact that this happened on the weekend, and they sort of, you know, they got in the car, and everybody said he usually takes Marine One up to, to Walter Reed. Mm -hmm. They didn't tell anybody ahead of time. They just kind of got there. And they, they got there. Did you see the video? He got there. He he was, like, rushed into yeah. that car. And he they did not stop and talk to the cameras. Yeah. he that, It was really strange. And I'm, I should say, so he, this was on uh, Saturday, and he hasn't, I don't think, made any public appearance, if he I'm not mistaken, morning, until actually. today. Right. Yeah. So we know he's we know he's not dead. We know he's not in the hospital with a heart attack. He looked fine. He looked as healthy as he ever does. But it just underscores how what you point out, Heather, these folks lie about everything. There is nothing, even the most routine things in the world 
that any journalist of any sort should believe from these people at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely. I mean, the press secretary actually said, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I don't know why you're so, you know, you're, you're so suspicious. I've told you a lot of things that are true. <laughs> you know, like, oh, really? Oh, good. Can you care to tell us what Which that was? Ones? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Could you point I mean, yeah. this is just, you know, look, I'm, I'm not yeah. one to track these people's health. I was, I was annoyed beyond, you know, measure when they did it to Hillary Clinton when mm-hmm. she had the thing. And, and they love to sort of, but again, that sort of points out how really, you know, what goes around comes around, dude, because they you know, pimped some, that she had some kind of a brain tumor mm-hmm. or had Parkinson's disease. They did that for months. And yep. then, of course, when she actually had pneumonia, they certainly um, capitalized on it. So I don't have a lot of pity for them, you know, his privacy being invaded or anything. Right. But, look, this guy, he's not young. He's, he's one of the oldest presidents we've ever had, and he may have been in good health his whole life. But at some point, that stuff catches up to you. Yep. He's 73. And he does not lead a healthy life, and he's under tremendous stress. And I mean, there's no, no more stressful existence than that of Donald Trump. And they Trump can't the stand the idea that anything, no matter what it was, that anything would come out uh, showing that he is not in perfect health in every way, okay. because they know how they exploited it with Hillary Clinton. I mean, they're yeah. up yeah. to almost North Korea levels of dear leader <laughs> propaganda almost, and lying. Almost. Here. All right. Well, they didn't say that he made the sunrise, so you know, I'm trying to try That's to be next. you know. Give clear. him time. Give him time. <laughs> All right. So uh, back to the impeachment that we're here to talk about, uh, Heather. Uh, So what in short, if it's possible, uh, since this was another long hearing on Tuesday, uh, what in your estimation do Democrats hope that Americans will take away? uh, We played some of the opening testimony, uh, some of the opening statements and so forth. So what do Democrats hope that Americans will take away from the testimony of Lieutenant Colonel Alex Vindman and Mike Pence's Ukraine expert, Jennifer Williams? Well, I think it just adds to the evidence that they were sort of presenting last week, which is that there were a bunch of career professionals, people who really don't have any access to grinds. They're not real. They're not political. Mm-hmm. You know, they observed this behavior, which they, in their experience, some of them had decades of experience, some of them are more new to it, some of them are experts in the field, you know, whatever. They they all were tremendously alarmed by what they were hearing, whether it was through other people or observing the, uh, you know, the the back and forth among people who were involved, as as Ambassador Taylor did, or Vindeman and... um, and uh, Williams, Williams, who were actually on the phone call. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were fir- they had firsthand knowledge, and all of them were, you know, this this was abnormal. This yeah. is not the way things are supposed to work. So, what the Democrats are doing, I think, is building this case to uh, you know regular Americans. You see these people, and you're not looking at them, going, "Wow, they're real fire breathing partisans," you know, right. out there to get the president. Now, Fox News, and I think we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fox News is presenting a completely alternate narrative. It is amazing. Yeah, because I was uh, flipping back and forth during the breaks as well. And, I mean, pretty much all that I saw over on Fox was them talking about why can't we see the whistleblower? I mean, that's what they were continuing on. And, well, to that end, let me ask you, why can't we see the whistleblower? Well, first of all, there's a principle involved, which is that, you know, these whistleblower laws were passed for a reason. These people are supposed to be protected because only then can we have, you know, can we have, you know, any kind of transparency and oversight of people who have held, 
you know, tremendous power over people's lives in this country and around the world. I mean, it's the most powerful country on earth. So they created these whistleblower laws in order to encourage people to, you know, come forward and report it when they see wrongdoing, because otherwise we will never know. And this all came out of a period after World War II in which the government was really off the rails. I mean, you know, you know what they were doing. They were spying on Americans. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, basically blackmailing Americans and and the stuff they were doing overseas. And all of this came out of this that happened in the late 60s and the early 70s in through Watergate where these revelations came out. And they went, you know what, we've got to put, you know, together some mechanisms mm -hmm. To, to allow people, like a Daniel Ellsberg, for instance, to come mm -hmm. forward and, you know, to, to actually reveal these, these, these wrongdoings. So there's a reason to protect this whistleblower beyond this particular case. However, even more than that, look, I know that Republicans love to, to out CIA agents. I mean, we yes, saw that just a decade ago. This yeah. is their favorite thing to do. Yeah. If, there's a, if there's a CIA agent, there's a whole story to be told about the Republicans and CIA analysts, mm -hmm. I, they have a real problem with them. They've never liked them going back to the 70s. They think the analysts are all a bunch of, you know, s s communist sympathizers or something. Mm -hmm. But, the, you know, so this is part of their DNA. But, you know, they want to out the whistleblower because what they think about this person is that this person had was some kind of a partisan. But the fact of the matter is, even if he is, right, or she is, whoever, right. Even doesn't matter, right? Because what the whistleblower did, which is the same thing as getting a tipster on, you know, a, a police, you know, mm -hmm. investigation. Somebody calls in and leaves an anonymous tip and says, you know, hey, you know, go check out so and so. We, you know, he was at the bank that day when they were robbing it, and you know, you can, mm -hmm. you'll find out. That's all the whistleblower was. The whistleblower tipped off the, you know, all the overseers including inspectors general in the CIA. I mean, it's not like the whistleblower went and leaked it all to the New York Times. So what they, they actually didn't. So And so what they all they want to do is is basically smear this person, I guess, or use it as well, a distraction from the case. It's a distraction. They're trying to confuse people with a lot of things. I mean, it's not just this. They're talking about, you know, it's all hearsay. Well, mm -hmm. no, now today it's not hearsay. And truthfully, all that really does is say, okay, maybe we need to hear from Mike Pompeo. Maybe we need to hear directly from, uh, you know, from, from the people who were actually involved in this. Maybe the president ought to talk about, you know, what he was doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're basically saying, if this is all hearsay from people who didn't hear it from the president, well, let's hear it. Let's talk to the people who did hear it from the president. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they don't have anything, you know, you'd think they'd be eager, right? to run down to the Congress and, and say, absolutely, this did not happen. Right. The president was all on the up and up, all he wanted to do. Why aren't they there? Why well, are they stopping them? Yeah, and there's uh, two questions I want to hit on on related to that point. And then I want to play a couple of clips and get your thoughts on that today, because there was some interesting uh, testimony, particularly near the end of the Vindman testimony, I thought. So very quickly, there there's still this mystery. I think it's still a mystery about why... Vice President Pence, who was scheduled to attend uh, President Zelensky's inauguration, why he suddenly did not go, and instead Energy Secretary Rick Perry was sent in his place. Now, uh, Pence's own staffer, Jennifer Williams, today did not seem to even know the answer to that question, unless I missed it. Did we learn anything along those lines today? Because the implication seems to be 
that Pence was told directly by the president, no, you may not go. Well, I think that's what Williams said she had been told, was that the president had decided not to let him go. And it's very interesting because they they were claiming, well, you know, there were conflicts in the schedule, but they didn't know the schedule when they when they pulled him from mm-hmm. that from that mission. Mm. And you know, there's press reporting too, and I don't know if we'll ever get into this in the in the impeachment hearings because it, it's a bit of a digression although it should be there should be hearings on this separately if not part of the impeachment is that Rick Perry shows up in Pence's stead and basically you know puts together a deal for a couple of his top donors for some big gas and you know mm-hmm. energy project yeah during that trip. So, I mean, there was all this graft and corruption going on at the, at the very same time. And that's, you know, Giuliani's involved in that, too. So there's this whole other set of side story about people doing these side deals in Ukraine while, you know, supposedly the president was cracking the whip Rooting on, corruption. on corruption. I, I mean, it's so ridiculous. Now, there was also... Um Vindman was not only on that notorious July 25 call between Trump and Zelensky. He was in a White House meeting. This was discussed in detail during the testimony on Tuesday. Uh, White House meeting between Ukrainian and U.S. officials when uh, the EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland, who is expected to testify on Wednesday, um, excuse me, when he told the Ukraine officials that they needed to investigate Biden and Burisma, if they wanted to get their meeting with the president, which John Bolton, national security advisor, yes, that John Bolton broke up. He broke up that meeting, apparently, at that point, because he thought that's he even thought that suggestion was over the line. Now, uh, Heather, several weeks ago when we chatted, I think for the first time about this scandal, I suggested that John Bolton could end up, ironically enough, becoming a hero here in this matter. You scoffed a little bit at me on that. Do you wish to apologize? (laughs) I do not. I I stand by my opinion that John Bolton will never be a hero. But, you know, he might just be a, you know, end up being someone who, you know, can occasionally tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, It's possible. You know, I mean, he obviously, I don't, you know, we don't really know what game he's playing. It could be anything between, you know, he's just trying to sell books and so he doesn't want to say what he knows until mm-hmm. his book is out, to, you know, him really trying to play this carefully so that he can get a court decision that makes it possible for him to go without any conflict in terms of executive privilege. For um, him to testify, the because to testify. the Democrats would love him to testify, oh. and he was he seemed pretty... I mean, by all accounts, he broke up that conversation. He said, he I don't want a drug deal. Call, yeah, I don't <laughs> want anything to do with Giuliani's drug deal. <laughs> so, I mean, he does not seem like a hero uh, in that he has, you know, not yet, I guess, responded to the request. They've already the committee has already requested or subpoenaed that he that uh, Bolton testified. They did not you know? subpoena him okay. and they didn't actually even, you know, officially request, although they kind of put out, you know, we'd be you know, happy to talk to him right. about appearing. And the reason for that is is that they don't want to, you know, they, they don't want to get involved, have this court case become involved in all this subpoena business that's mm-hmm. happening with executive privilege. So they're trying to sort of leave that out there. It's a very delicate situation legally. And it's curious that, that Bolton has attached himself to that particular 
uh, legal claim by his former assistant or you know deputy who is the one who actually filed the lawsuit in court about mm-hmm. well, you know I don't know what to do the White House doesn't want me to go but I but I have a subpoena mm-hmm. and they even withdrew the subpoena so that case may be thrown out but in any case um, you know Bolton is doing something here and we don't exactly know what it is but one thing we do know is that he was he knew about this he was aware of it and he was appalled by it. And basically, he instructed his, you know, his his deputies and mm-hmm. Fiona Hill specifically to go report it to the, you know, to the uh, to the NSC and then, attorney, yeah, to, same to one, the, yeah, to the attorney. Yeah. And of course, this attorney's in the middle of this whole thing. Everybody's running to him and saying, "My God, you know, look what's happening here." And that attorney, of course, is when he made the decision to hide the the transcript for one thing, and who basically told Vindman, and he testified to that on Tuesday. That um, you know, don't go, don't talk to anybody about this. Yeah, and they, you know, this is. The, I mean, clearly, there people's hair was on fire in the National Security Council. People who were aware, and in the State Department, who were aware of what was going on, and it, and, and honestly, you know, I think for them, it's even beyond the political aspect of this. I mean, that's that's what Trump is going to be impeached for, but it's about the national security aspect of mm-hmm. this. I mean, basically, Trump is you know putting national security with Russia on the line here for his own petty personal reasons and essentially telling Ukraine hey you know we might just back off on this you know don't don't count on us well, you know we might we might just you know we me, might just let Vlad have his way let me uh, let me play a little bit of uh, audio uh, some a uh, couple of short clips and let me get your uh, quick takes on this this was uh, congressman Joaquin Castro Democrat from Texas who was asking about, um, well, what the Republicans are claiming and a sort of, you know, their tact, their main tactic here seems to be to try to do the investigation that Donald Trump was asking about in the first place. So here is this is Joaquin Castro asking uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman about whether Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election as Donald Trump seemed to want Ukraine to uh, announce or investigate. Colonel Vindman, are you aware of any evidence to support the theory that the Ukrainian government interfered in the 2016 election? Congressman, I am not, and I'm. Uh, furthermore, I would say that this is a Russian narrative uh, that President Putin has promoted. And are you aware of any part of the U.S. government, uh, its foreign policy or intelligence apparatus, that supports that theory? No, I'm not aware of. Now, keep in mind that uh, Vindman has been has worked for, I think it's uh, three Republican presidents, one Democratic president, something like that. He's the uh, Donald Trump's top Ukraine expert on his National Security Council. And that was his response there. And then Castro asked him about the danger of, uh, you know, asking Ukraine to investigate Americans. What is the danger of a, a president of the United States, whether it's Donald Trump or any future president, asking another nation where there's rampant corruption to investigate a political rival or just any other American citizen, what would be the danger to that American? Uh, Congressman, um, the, Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainian uh, judiciary is imperfect at the moment. And the, the reliance on U.S. support could conceivably cause them to tip the scales of justice 
in favor of finding uh, a, a the U.S. citizen guilty if they thought they needed to do that in their national. So they could trump up charges if they wanted to in a corrupt system like that. They could, and Ukraine is making progress. Certainly, uh, more broadly in Russia, that is likely to happen, where the state will be involved in, ju in uh, judicial outcomes and drive them. And let me play just one more here, Heather, and I'll get your thoughts. This was Peter Welch, Democrat from Vermont, on a, a similar line about uh, how proper it is to have foreign governments investigating U.S. citizens. The question before us is this. Is it improper for the president of the United States to demand a foreign government investigate a United States citizen and political opponent? Very well stated. I just listened to Mr. Jordan, as you did as well, and I heard his criticisms of the process. Nothing really happened. A lot of people are out to get the president. I didn't hear an answer to the question as to whether it's proper for the president of the United States to demand a foreign government to investigate a U.S. citizen and political opponent. And to date, I haven't heard any one of my Republican colleagues address that question. It's interesting that uh, some of the, I think, the best testimony and the best uh, colloquies sort of came at the end when you were able to sort of pull all of these pieces together. And I got one more I want to play in a second with Sean Patrick Maloney that I think really pulled it together. But your thoughts on, on uh, the, those uh, questions from Castro and Welch? Well, I think it's interesting, and, and I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I'm sure that that was, that was planned, because we've had polling out just this week that shows 70% of the American people, which includes many Republicans, believe that what Trump did was wrong. I mean, regardless of mm -hmm. whether you think it's impeachable, and in that poll, 51% believed it was impeachable and that he should be removed. Removed, yeah. But, but even aside from that, there were, you know, 70% of the American people are willing now to say what he did was wrong. So this tells me that, that their approach is not working, that the idea that, you know, you can excuse this thing and say, well, you know, he was doing it for the, for the good of the American people, he was just trying to do corruption, whatever. It's not working. People know what he did was wrong. What they're not yet convinced of is whether or not it is something that he should be that they should say he should be impeached for, mm -hmm. although most, you know, most Americans do. So that doesn't, you know, that this that this idea, that, you know, Jordan in particular, I mean, he's a very, very unpleasant fellow, uh, <laughs> to say the least. And, you know, his, uh, I was a little disappointed not to hear him try out again his, uh, his very clever line that, you know, Trump was just trying to trap the uh, the Ukraine, new Ukrainian president into proving whether he was really corrupt or not, whether he'd accept the deal, uh, because if he did, then it would have been really bad, and Trump would have said, "Well, you're you know you're too corrupt." Uh, that was a very very um, unusual uh, sort of uh, you know plot. Oh, that's bonkers. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's crazy. But the, he has been saying that. He said it on Friday uh, with Marie Yovanovitch, and he has he said it over the weekend on TV. But he didn't do it today. What he basically was just trying to do was smear the you know smear the witnesses to the best of his ability. It's, it wasn't easy, and it hasn't been easy with any of them. I mean Williams, you know who she's. You know, she was a Republican, obviously. She worked on the Bush campaign. Yeah, I mean, she was. You know, this isn't somebody yeah. who had a partisan axe to grind. And she didn't, you know, she was very professional about the whole thing. But she said, 
that she thought that this was inappropriate, what they did, just like 70% of Americans think that it is inappropriate to do this. These are serious issues with serious consequences, and that's one of the things that the uh, Republicans are trying to downplay. And if folks did not, uh, you know, make it through uh, to the end of that uh, testimony with Vindman today, it's a shame because this uh, colloquy with Sean Patrick Maloney, a Democrat from uh, New York, where, New York. Well, I think there was a lot here, and it ended with a, a, a round of applause. Let me let me play this, and we'll get your closing thoughts today, Heather. You two were on the White House call, am I right? You heard it with your own ears. Correct. Not secondhand, not from somebody else, not hearsay, right? Correct. You heard the president's voice on the call. I didn't. And you heard him raise that subject again that Ambassador Sondland had raised before about investigating the Bidens, right? I did. And I want to ask you, when you heard him say that, what was the first thought that went through your mind? Frankly, I couldn't believe uh, what I was hearing. Um, It was probably an element of shock that uh, maybe in certain regards my worst fear of how our Ukraine policy could play out uh, was playing out how this was likely to have uh, significant implications for U.S. national security. And you went immediately and you reported it, didn't you? I did. Why? Because that was my duty. You still have your opening statement handy? I do. Would you read the last paragraph for me again? Not the one, the very last one, the second to last one. Would you read that one again for me? Because I think the American public deserves to hear it again. Uh, the the da- start, starting. That's the one. I think my dad would appreciate this one, too. Uh, <laughs> Dad, my sitting here today in the U.S. Capitol talking to our elected officials is proof that you made the right decision 40 years ago to leave the Soviet Union and come here to the United States of America in search of a better life for our family. Do not worry. I'll be fine for telling the truth. You realize when you came forward out of sense of duty that you were putting yourself in direct opposition to the most powerful person in the world. Do you realize that, sir? I knew I was assuming a lot of risk. And I'm struck by that word, don't worry, that phrase, do not worry, you addressed to your dad. Was your dad a warrior? Uh, he did serve. It was a different military, though. And he would have worried if you were putting yourself up against the President of the United States, is that right? He deeply worried about it, because in his context, there was, there was the ultimate risk. And why do you have confidence that you can do that and Be- tell your dad not to worry? Congressman, because this is America. This is the country I've served and defended, uh, that all of my brothers have served, and here, right matters. Thank you, sir. Yield back. Heather Digby-Parton, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to uh, to impeach uh, that guy, Vindman, than it will be to impeach the President of the United <laughs> States, it seems to me. I agree with you. I mean, that was a very moving thing, and he was very, I uh, thought that he was very convincing. He wasn't, you know, he didn't seem slick at all. He didn't seem like somebody who had any kind of a, you know, preparation by professionals or anything like that. I mean, he, he uh, you know, his his point of view sitting there with his uniform on uh, was just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm doing... I'm doing the the right thing as a citizen, as a soldier, you know, as a member of the the White House. This is this is you know the right thing to do, and people did applaud there, and it was actually kind of nice to see because I think that guy's been under a tremendous amount of pressure, and I think mm-hmm. his his he is probably at great risk to himself uh, 
done this, and probably he will not have much of a military career afterwards, right? I mean, he's—I yep. you know, don't see how he he goes anywhere in the in the U.S. Armed Services after taking this thing. But he is—he's a hero for doing it, really. Mm-hmm. It's a heroic thing, and you know, this this the idea that they put forth, which the the lawyer actually was out there early on in the testimony, insinuating that he was a foreign agent. I mm-hmm. mean, he was talking; they were passing on that disgusting, disgusting, you know, sort of smear uh, that originated with Laura um, Ingram and John Yu, the torture lawyer, uh, that he, because he was Ukrainian and spoke Ukrainian and maybe had been speaking in a foreign language to a foreigner, that that meant that it was very suspicious that maybe he'd committed espionage. It's disgusting and gross, and they were out there kind of pushing that slyly again today. So but, hopefully that didn't go anywhere. But that's what they do. You noted yep. their, their outing of a CIA agent, uh, Valerie yep. Plame, during the Bush years. They will go against CIA agents. They will go against military. All of the folks that they, against the FBI, uh, all of the folks they pretend Funny, to support that they, uh, you know, pound on, uh, on Democrats for not supporting enough until they're until you know one of them uh, says something that a Republican doesn't like and they turn on them they call them spies it is just appalling by the way Valerie Plame is running for Congress in New Mexico this year in case you care but the uh, the, the idea that uh, you know this this uh, this veteran of the military who was wounded in Iraq by a roadside bomb that he was shocked at what he was hearing on the phone call with the president that they're willing to turn around and slime this guy. It is appalling, but, you know, when I hear that a round of applause break out in Congress, uh, it gives me some hope that yeah, um, maybe we all know better. Heather Digby-Parton, uh, find her work as ever at Salon.com and at her blog, digbysblog.blogspot.com. Follow her on the Twitters at Digby56. And, Heather, I think you're, uh, you're with us again tomorrow for another grueling day of testimony as i recall <laughs> yes i will i'll try to get to bed tonight sometime before uh, it, one in the morning my usual time I, because this yeah. is exhausting i feel you i really do <laughs> hey thanks heather we'll talk to you tomorrow my pleasure all right okay desi Doyne, you're up yay there's time do we have time <laughs> i think so all right quick break and we're back with the green news report right here on the broadcast i'm brad friedman Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks.
is uh, Thanksgiving here yet? No, not yet. Oh, I know what I'm going to be <laughs> thankful for. Uh, okay. Well, you know, maybe a, a minute or two off over yes. the holiday. That might be nice. Until then, let's get to it, Desi Doyen. Our latest Green News report. We went to the moon. Uh, and uh, we should be able also to defend this, this basilica from uh, the climate changes, and we will. State of emergency in Venice, flooded by three record high tides in a week. Climate change will harm children the most, report warns. Move over Tesla. Ford unveils an all-electric SUV, the Mustang Mach-E. Plus, we have to start moving beyond statements of hope and deliver Signs of action. New Zealand sets binding target for net zero emissions by 2050. All of those targets and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. If any of these other people get in, you know what's going to happen? There won't be any energy. We'll be... I don't know what the hell we're going to be doing, right? Well, you'll probably be sitting in jail working on your appeal... By candlelight, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, today it is Italy that is uh, fighting with the ravages of climate change. Yes, they're getting extreme weather whiplash across Italy. First, the iconic city of Venice has suffered its third record exceptional tide in a week. The flooding has damaged the Basilica of San Marco, which is only flooded six times in a thousand years, but four of those were in the last 20 years. The unusually high tides are driven by strong winds from a stalled weather system on top of rising sea levels. The record flood came literally minutes after regional officials voted down proposals to act on climate change. Oh, brilliant. But it's not just Venice that is dealing with this problem. No, other parts of Italy are also struggling with a rash of extreme weather impacts from heavy rains and flash floods to an out-of-season avalanche. And in the meantime, there are like hundreds thousands of year old antiquities that are being destroyed by this uh, rising tide in Venice. Here in the U.S., a new report by the Government Accountability Office finds that at least 60 percent of U.S. Superfund sites, those are the most toxic polluted sites in America, are at high risk of flooding, wildfires, and other worsening climate disasters that could spread toxins and even lead to chemical explosions. The GAO found that the Trump administration's denial of climate Climate change has halted efforts to safeguard those sites from impacts, but the Trump EPA has mostly rejected the report's findings, saying current efforts are sufficient. Yeah, just like they said in Venice, I guess. Two million Americans live within a mile of 300-plus Superfund sites that are vulnerable to weather disasters. Meanwhile, climate change will affect every stage of the life of every child alive today. That's according to a new report from the medical journal The Lancet. Its annual climate change and health report warns that the public health effects of climate change, quote, will be unevenly distributed and children will be among those especially harmed because their bodies and immune systems are still developing, leaving them more susceptible to disease and pollutants. Well, that's grim. 
They say a warmer world will hit children with more and different health problems than their parents ever had to deal with. Fantastic. New research has linked air pollution nanoparticles to brain cancer for the first time. The ultra-fine particles are produced by incomplete combustion of fuel from cars and trucks, particularly diesel vehicles, that can enter the lungs, bloodstream, and brain. The study found that higher exposures to air pollution significantly increase people's risk of getting brain cancer. Some good news. Thank you. Been trying to get to this one for a couple of weeks. Thank New you. Zealand has passed an ambitious bipartisan law aiming for the nation to ramp down its carbon emissions and reach 100% renewable electricity by 2035 wow. and be mostly carbon neutral by 2050. And that's a bipartisan piece of legislation? And it's binding by law. Wow. It creates a climate change commission to develop a roadmap to get there. Here's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern at the passage of the law. Our world is warming. And so therefore the question for all of us is what side of history will we choose to sit on in that moment in time? Good question. We have to start moving beyond statements of hope and deliver signs of action. And that is what this government is doing, and proudly so. Good for them. Finally, Detroit automaker Ford has introduced its first all-electric SUV, the Mustang Mach-E, part of the company's $11 billion investment in electric cars. Ford says the Mach-E can get more than 300 miles per charge, depending on how it's equipped. Every car maker in the world has introduced or will introduce all-electric vehicles to their model lines within the next five years, showing that change happens slowly. Until it happens quickly. Yeah, well, take your time. No rush. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or Google Play. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your... Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yep. Have, have the second set of witnesses at the impeachment hearings uh, begun already? Yeah, um, yes, they have. Kurt Volker and Tim Morrison. We got to get out of here so we can go watch that. We will uh, report whatever there is of note to report on our next thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Salon's Heather Digby Parton, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other that we have ever done, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We do ask those of you who uh, might consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to leave a little something in the tip jar. That's what keeps us going right here on the broadcast. bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me email as well. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad blog. See you there. Until we see you tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.